Hey everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. If you're new to our ministry, we hope you'll feel at home here and connect with us. Uh, please leave a comment below to let us know you listened in. Now, right now we're in a series called, Is God Racist? We started in Genesis and next week we'll end in Revelation. And along the way, we've seen how God loves the nations and confronts our prejudices. Today, I want to consider specifically how the gospel attacks discrimination. It's important that we understand not only that God thinks it's wrong, but how he sets about to actually change it. Because many of the world's efforts just aren't working. On July 9th, a funeral made its procession through the streets of Detroit to Hart Plaza. There were thousands of people who watched as this horse-drawn carriage moved past with the casket exposed. The governor made an address. The mayor spoke. Another prominent leader gave the eulogy. And then the coffin was placed in Detroit Memorial Park Cemetery. The only strange thing was there was no body inside. In fact, the funeral wasn't for a person at all. It was for a racial slur. The NAACP had organized a funeral for the N-word, and the event was aimed at stopping people from using it both inside and outside the African-American community. The only problem is the word didn't seem to want to stay dead. I think it's important that a word that carries so much hatred and disrespect die. And I even think symbolic gestures like the mock funeral can have some effect in confronting public perception and practice. But it did make me think about how we bring about change. How do we end racism and discrimination in our lives? You can change laws dealing with bigger problems, but it's harder to police words and attitudes. Some, some people think it's just a generational problem. It'll die out naturally. But while attitudes have changed to some extent, if you look at the age of the white supremacists at rallies like Charlottesville, it seems like a new generation of racists will replace the old. And there's so much of our racism and prejudice that we just don't even see. Because we don't carry tiki torches, we assume it's not our problem. How do we undo that kind of blindness? How do we change? How do we help our children change? I think that today's passage answers those questions and shows us in particular how the gospel attacks discrimination. As we've seen already in our series, people in the early church who came to faith, they brought attitudes of discrimination and superiority with them. And they were just as deep as ours today. Today's passage looks at the core teaching that undid their prejudice and can deal with ours. I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 3. So if you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to pause the video and turn there so you can follow along. Colossians 3 verses 1 to 11. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of God. Now, I want you to see three ways that the early church dismantled the prejudice that their converts brought with them when they came to faith and how they can change us. The first is they put on new glasses. They were given a clear vision for how to see people as God sees them. To undo our prejudices, we need to put on new glasses. Now, to help you keep your bearings, we're going to walk through this passage from the bottom up. We're going backwards. And we're going to start in verse 11. There it says, Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. While discrimination on the basis of skin color was still unheard of in the first century, people found other ways to exclude people who were different than them. Both Greeks and Jews felt a cultural and ethnic superiority to one another. The Greeks had a rich, rich heritage of learning and culture. The Jews, on the other hand, they were the chosen people. And so Jews and Greeks looked down on each other. God declares those old ethnic barriers have no place among God's people. We need to see each other with new glasses. Then circumcision was another huge dividing line. In the Old Testament, it was a mark of who was in and who was out of the covenant. Many Jewish Christians just couldn't bring themselves to see uncircumcised believers on the same level. They didn't want to mix with them. But God declares that the old religious barriers have no place among God's people. We need to see each other with new glasses. Then you have barbarians and Scythians. They were culturally and academically excluded. The Greeks and Romans referred to anyone who didn't speak Greek as a barbarian. And it was a way of mocking their lack of culture and education. They came up with the word barbarian because to them, their language sounded like gibberish. Bar, 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 bar. The Scythians, they came from the northern coast of, of the Black Sea. But they were often portrayed as the worst kind of barbarian. Savages in the mind of the Greeks. But God declares old cultural barriers have no place among God's people. We need to see each other with new glasses. Finally, Paul lists slave and free. At this point, more than a quarter of the Roman Empire were slaves, and it would have been easy for those who were free to look down on slaves, and for slaves to see all free people as oppressors. But God declares those old social and class barriers have no place among God's people. We need to see each other with new glasses. We need to see people as God sees them. There's a basic dignity to all people because we're created in the image of God. But notice how the verse begins and ends. While there is a shared humanity among all people that we should value, there's an even deeper bond of 
that should exist among believers of different backgrounds. Before listing all of those barriers of prejudice and exclusion that exist in the world, Paul says, here there is not. The world may see people with prejudice, but the church can't. And he gives a reason at the end of the verse. He says, Christ is all and in all. Not only do you and I share a bond of humanity with all people, people of different backgrounds, but in the case of a fellow believer, Christ is in that person. Jesus is in them, and he's working through them. And for a Christian, that's all that matters. That's what Christ is all means. Who cares what language they speak? Jesus is in their life. Who cares what education they've had? Jesus is in their life. Who cares about their past religion or their ethnicity or anything else if Jesus is in their life? We need to learn to see and value Jesus and fellow believers. No matter how little else we might have in common, if we share Jesus, we share the most important thing in our lives together. Now, what I hope this series is showing you is what a huge theme it is in the Bible for us to embrace God's love for all people. When we first announced the series, some people assumed, well, he'd probably knock off a few sermons and then move on to something else. I even found myself wondering, how much does the Bible really say about racism and discrimination? But we're 10 messages in, and there's still plenty of other passages that we could have gone to. And one of the reasons that the early church was so effective in dismantling discrimination is that it made such a priority of it. So in Romans 10, 12, for instance, Paul says, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. If Jesus doesn't show favoritism, neither should we. Or how about in... 1 Corinthians 12, 13. That's where Paul says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't racist, so neither should we be. Or how about in Galatians 3, 28? There it says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's not that Jews cease to be Jews and Greeks cease to be Greeks. He's not saying that males are the same as females, but it's that the barriers have come down. The relative value and status among God's people is fundamentally equal. And did you notice that each of these lists was a little different. That's because Paul is applying a principle to whatever barrier he sees in a congregation. So today, he'd confront racial lines. He'd confront lines between foreigners and locals, lines between rich and poor, educated and non-educated. He'd deal with the prejudiced way that people treat those with disabilities or mental illness, the lines that exist between blue collar and white collar, He'd address the bias that we uh, apply to a person on the basis of how they look. And he would call us to see people the way Jesus does. See people with new glasses. Now, we spent quite a bit of time looking at verse 11 and learning to put on new glasses. 
Now let's back up and see where this verse fits in the largest, larger section from verses 5 to 11. There we learn that dismantling racism involves killing the old you. We need to take aim at the parts of our lives that are inconsistent with the new life Jesus calls us to. Need to kill the old you. Now, I'm still not clear whether the church has just been ineffective in communicating this message or whether some people are just really good at not hearing it. But I suspect it's a combination of both. But the Christian life is not just about adding Jesus and religion to our lives. We need to get rid of things that Jesus saved us from. So in verse 5, for instance, Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. He's talking about our old ways of thinking and acting. We need to put them to death and start over. Or in verse 8, he says, But now you must put them all away. Get rid of them. Deal with them. Kill them. We come to Christ because we're sick of our sin. We put our faith in him because we're convinced that his way is the best way. And so once we begin a new life with him, we, we're to call on his power and the means of grace that he gives to, give, to just begin this process of cleaning house and breaking with our sins. Notice that he gives three lists. Three lists to help us to feel something of God's priorities. In verse 5, we get the first one, or verse 6, sorry. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Then in verse 8, he confronts our words. There, we get, a, we get a list of anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouths. And finally, in verse 11, he gives the areas of prejudice that we looked at already. These are things we need to put to death. Now, I wonder, did the three lists surprise you at all? I think if you were to ask the average person on the street, they might say, sexuality? Yeah, that seems to be a pretty big deal to Christians. They're pretty close-minded about that stuff. Words? I see that one too. Christians seem to get worked up about bad language. You could probably find lots of non-Christians that would identify purity and words as priorities to Christians. But you'd be hard-pressed to find people who would identify Christians with a passion for racial equality. Why is that? Why are we not identified by our commitment to ending discrimination in all its forms? I think it's because the church hasn't fully come to terms with its past. It hasn't yet adequately confronted its complicity in racism and discrimination. And yet, this is one of God's priorities. It's all over the scriptures. This is a crucial part of Christian discipleship. When we begin our new life with Christ, we need to kill our old one. We need to put to death sexual impurity in all its forms. We need to retire some of our old vocabulary in the godless way that we speak to people and about people. And we need to destroy the barriers we've built in our hearts toward others. And in case the language of putting to death wasn't a ringing, ringing a bell for us, in verses 9 and 10, he uses the language of clothing, specifically putting on and putting off clothing. He compares our old ways to a tired set of old clothing. It's ready for value village. 
He, he talks about putting off the old self with its practices and putting on the new self. And again, I think that many people miss that. We don't want to put off the old self. We're used to the old set of clothes. They're comfortable, even if they do smell. They're familiar, even if they just look awful and outdated. And so we just try to put the new clothes or the new life on over top of them. And yet we're still surprised when they don't fit. We try to add without subtracting. And it's like taking clean dishes and putting them in the sink without emptying out the dirty dishwater. We end up with a murky, dirty veneer of Christianity. You need to kill the old you. Now, the early church dismantled prejudice and discrimination by helping the people put on new glasses and kill the old life. They gave them a vision of how God sees the world, and they called people to put to death the habits and attitudes in their lives that were inconsistent with it. But finally, they called them to live their eternity now. They helped them to see that what Jesus had done in delivering them from their old life and uniting them to himself in a new eternal life together with him, he showed them that we're called to live our eternity now. Now, I hope that some of you noticed an important word when I read verse 5. And I'm going to give it to you again. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Did you hear it? There's a therefore. And the old preachers used to remind us that whenever you see a therefore, you ask yourself, what's it there for? This one is important. And they often are in Paul's letters. The therefore points us back to what God has done for us in verses 1 to 4. Gives us the motivation. Because what I've said so far may just feel to you like a Black Lives Matter sign. It's true. Black lives do matter. But just reading the sign may not change your attitude. And me just telling you to put on new glasses and kill your old self may not move you to change either. And if it does, maybe you'll change for the wrong reasons. Maybe you'll do it to feel superior or to earn God's approval or to buy his silence on some other sin that you don't want to deal with. So let's follow the therefore back to verses 1 to 4. As we look there, we see a number of things that God has done for us. So, for instance, in verse 1, it says, You have been raised with Christ. Then, in verse 3, it says, You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. If you're hearing the language of death and resurrection, you're on the right track. We know that Jesus died on the cross and three days later, he rose from the grave on that first Easter Sunday. As he did, his life was changed. He ascended into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the Father. He's begun his reign as our Savior and King. But when we put our faith in him, we are united with him. Because he died for us, it's as if we died. And if we died with him, we're also resurrected with him. We've begun an entirely new life bound up with heaven and eternity. We have a new hope, new power, new resources, and a new standing with God. We still live here on this earth, but it's not our home anymore. We may live in Canada, but our true citizenship is in heaven. And so we embrace purity because heaven is pure. 
We use gracious, life-giving words now because that's the language of paradise. And we renounce prejudice and discrimination because our destiny is wrapped up with a God who loves the nations and welcomes people of all backgrounds. In heaven, there won't be any us versus them anymore. People who have trusted in Jesus will join arms with a unity and love that this world has never seen before. And verse 4 adds, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. One of the reasons for our prejudices is we want to feel important. We're not content to be educated. We have to feel more educated than someone else. We're not content with a certain level of power or authority. We want more power and more authority than others. Makes us feel superior. Feeds our pride. And that's why people are never content with their money. Even when all our needs are met, we crave more than others. What discrimination does is it lifts me up by pushing someone else down. But verse 4 gives us a completely different path to glory that has nothing to do with pride. Now, Christ is our life. Our destiny is tied up with him. And when he returns, we'll appear with him in glory. In fact, belonging to him will be our glory. And so at his appearing, no one will be flashing their business cards or pointing to their plaques or their certificates. They're not going to be talking about their ethnicity or their superiority or their background. Our only glory will be in the confidence that we can say, I'm with him. He's my savior. He came back for me. Change happens in our lives as we lay hold of these truths. In verse, in verse 1, Paul tells us to seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In verse 2, he says, Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. He's telling us to pursue the life now that we'll enjoy for eternity. We're to so immerse ourselves in heaven's values, heaven's perfections, and heaven's hope that we begin living our eternity now. And so we, we begin treating people the way we'll treat them in heaven. And we bring a fragrance of heaven to our life here on this earth. The gospel calls us to put on new glasses. Where is there still an us versus them in the way you see the world? Where are you putting up walls where God would have us to be one? When do you need to work at seeing Jesus and fellow believers and remembering that Jesus is all that matters? The gospel calls us to put on new glasses. The gospel also calls us to kill the old you. Have you been trying to add without subtracting? Where do you need to kill sexual impurity in your life? What are some of the ways of speaking about and relating to others that need to die? Where is your old life getting in the way of the new. The gospel calls us to kill the old you. Finally, the gospel calls us to live our eternity now. Our gratefulness for what Christ has done and our hope in all that he'll do gives us power to put on new glasses and to put to death our old ways. Are you certain that you've laid hold of that eternity? Do you know with confidence that you have responded to the gospel? Are you clear that you've put your trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord? If not, then come to him. 
That's where real change begins. And that's where Jesus' power, his presence, and his hope become the fuel for a new life that begins now but lasts for all eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the incredible love that you have shown for all nations. We, we marvel at the way that you break down the walls and the barriers that stand between us. Give us eyes, Father, to see this world as you see, see it. Help us to see people with your love and compassion. Give us strength to put to death our old life, to deal with the sins that get in the way of living out the new life that you call us to. And Father, help us to get our thoughts and our lives up out of this world into the new life, into the eternity that you call us to. May we live that eternity now as we focus ourselves on Jesus Christ and as we seek to reflect the hope and the values that we receive in him. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I hope today's message has helped you to see that God isn't a racist. In fact, he's the one who undoes our racism and prejudices. If the gospel is yours by faith, then let the gospel attack your discrimination. Put on new glasses, kill the old you, and live your eternity now. If you think this is a message that other people need to hear, then help share the link and spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit www.gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time. Thank you.